Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 2nd, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, October 31st, is 6999. That's 6999. This morning, A Vision for You presents If, When You Honestly Want To. In step one, we found complete despair, powerlessness. We cannot solve the problem of our compulsive overeating by ourselves. We've realized that anything that comes from our own resources, our will, our effort, our philosophy, our morality, our goals, or good intentions, won't solve our problem of compulsive overeating. Our human resources alone simply aren't sufficient. Our experience of powerlessness becomes the launching pad of desperation to seek and find power. Here to speak with us this morning is Janice P., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Janice is dedicated to trudging this road of recovery and carrying the message that indeed there is a solution. And welcome to A Vision for You, Janice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Janice P. And, um, and as Leah said, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I am very, very grateful to be here with you this morning and um, and to speak um, about this chapter four, we agnostics. I am one of those people who has recovered by working the twelve steps of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, it is a it is a great blessing to be able to talk about that with you. You know, to to tell you that indeed, as Leah said, I was in the depths of despair. And I see now when I look back at that, that it is exactly where I needed to get to, exactly where I needed to get to. My hope this morning, my wish this morning, my desire this morning is that perhaps there are some of you out there who may not yet have found that spiritual solution or may be struggling with Step two, which is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Because I believe that's what's addressed here in Chapter 4 in We Agnostics. And it is a place that all of us, all of us, had to come to. I'm grateful that uh, just recently Harlan spoke um, on a special edition meeting about more about alcoholism and, and expanded so beautifully the ideas <clears throat> that happen to us as a result of our disease, our humanness, our our minds, our thinking, and and how that relates to the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. You know, that twist in our thinking was what I had to address here. And I addressed a lot of that, that twisted thinking in this chapter, we agnostic. I went to my very first OA meeting back in 1989. 
and I always say, thank God for OA, because I never left the rooms of OA, but I didn't find the recovery that I know today until July 1st of 2001. You know, that something happened to me in working the steps right out of the big book, relying on the message in the big book, and understanding in a whole different way with the depth of my being what it means to have that spiritual awakening, to live in a spiritual experience. I've been a compulsive overeater, I think, um, since I was a child. I was always drawn to food. I always found food to be comforting. I liked food. I I used food when I was distressed, when I was bored. Um, I, I used food in all kinds of different ways as a child. I sneaked food. I, I um, looked for food when everybody's back was turned. I, I was drawn to the food. And I believe that that allergy of my body kicked in at a young age. You know, we are so blessed to know, I am so blessed to know the problem. You know, that what I suffer from is an allergy of my body. And that is not going to change. That is not going to change. It has been with me forever. When I take certain foods into my body, sugar, fat, salt, creamy, crunchy, you know, you you name it, a white cupcake, ice cream, brownies, pasta, pizza, you know, those were the foods that seemed to ignite this reaction in me. And I wanted more. I wanted more. I I could not control them and and I always found myself seeking more. And you put me in any kind of an emotional disturbance and food was my solution. Food was not my problem. Food was my solution. And that would be a bad enough problem, don't you think, if if you knew that. You knew that that was what your problem was, Janice, and just avoid those foods. But I couldn't seem to avoid those foods. Somehow, that obsession in my mind, that compulsion, would kick in and and suddenly the idea of having those foods would be the best idea I'd had in a long time and the only idea I could think of. I would be drawn to that idea just like I was drawn to the food. You know, the mind is a powerful thing. The mind is a powerful thing. You know, the, the mind of a chronic alcoholic, the mind of a chronic compulsive overeater is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And as I grew, I, I couldn't stop eating, not in, not in grade school, not in high school, not in college. It went on for a very long time. And the more I knew, the worse it seemed to get. You know, the more I understood this thing in myself, the worse it seemed to get. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. And even when I got to those ages where I wanted to be thin, like like my girlfriends, where I where I saw that my body size, my weight, was holding me back 
I still couldn't stop. You know, I started that long road of dieting and over-exercising and everything I could possibly think of. But those old ideas, remember the mind's a powerful thing, those old ideas were so deeply ingrained in me that I would believe that this time it will be different. This time I'm going to take one of those old ideas and rework it. And I'm going to try a different kind of food plan, a different kind of diet plan, a different kind of diet group, a different kind of doctor to help me. And I tried and tried and tried. And nothing seemed to change for me. I, would, I might lose a significant amount of weight sometimes. And I would feel better and I would look better and life would be better. But I began to understand that the food had me kept prisoner. I, it's, the bonds of the food were so soft when they started that I, I couldn't even feel them. And then they became chains that I couldn't break free of. And I remember even going to counselors and psychologists and, and psychiatrists and saying, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something is wrong with me because I can't seem, I can't seem to stop eating. And I remember one psychologist, learned man, experienced man, he said, you know, I can help you with many of your other problems, but I just don't know what to do with you and the food. And, and, you know, the truth is that psychologist helped me with many of my other problems, but it did not address the food problem. did not address the food problem. So I love this chapter, We Agnostics, because even though I grew closer and closer to that place of ultimate surrender, that place where I finally knew that I was powerless, powerless in a way I never had been able to admit or wanted to address ever before at that depth. I was also a doubter and a skeptic that there could be anything that could help me. I didn't know what that spiritual solution was going to look like for me. And when I began to hear that that might be something I would have to seek, it frightened me because I was a doubter and I was a skeptic. And I had grown up in, in a religious household where my parents were active participants in a wonderful faith community where there were many people who I believe behaved in ways that were so loving and kind and I admired them for it in this community. But I, but I could not seem to quite connect there myself. So it says in that first paragraph in We Agnostics on page 44, it says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Only a spiritual experience will conquer. 
Well, I tell you, you know, I had a lot of beliefs. I believed in a lot of things. And I had become so far into the disease of compulsive overeating that I had come to believe that I was powerless over the food. I had come to believe that I was a compulsive overeater of that most critical variety. I had come to believe that every solution that I had tried just did not seem to work for me, at least not for the long term. And those periods of being able to have any sense of control around the food were fleeting and they were getting closer and closer together, that need to pick up the food, that need to have the ease and comfort that food had once given me. But now I was beginning to find that even when I did pick up, it didn't work anymore. It didn't give me that sense of ease and comfort. It only gave me a sense of guilt and remorse and shame. You know, I don't know about you, but there is nothing worse to me than that voice in my head that says, here you are again. Here you are again. And that, that was a place where that kind of power of belief that I was going to end up there again and again and again was so disheartening. It was so disheartening. But I knew that surrender of my will was the only thing that was going to help. It was the only thing that just might turn the tide. Really that deep, deep surrender that I was a compulsive overeater. And I had admitted, when I had admitted that to myself, you know, that I was a compulsive overeater, that I had this obsession in my mind and this allergy of my body, Now, what was I going to do about it? You know, what was I going to do about it? And I'm very, very, very grateful that what was presented to me was the problem in its entirety, in its entirety, the problem and then the solution. The solution, which was going to ask me to change my state of mind. That belief, that step two, that solution, that the big book was telling me was a spiritual one was going to be a hurdle that I had to cross. It was going to be a hurdle that I had to jump. You know, I was a doubter. I was a skeptic. I was in that place where I was uncertain. And I tell you what, I don't like to be uncertain. I wanted assurances. that this was going to work. But that is one of the great gifts also of this program and also of the big book, that it says we do not declare anyone an alcoholic. We do not say you are a compulsive overeater. You have to find that place yourself, they told me. You have to admit to your innermost self that you are a compulsive overeater. Because that's the only truth you can know. You, I had had many, many people telling me what my problem was and telling me what they thought the solution should be. Yet another diet program. Yet another exercise plan. 
yet another um, health club to join. Yet another um, uh, diet magazine that someone else had found useful and that I knew my health was suffering. I knew my blood pressure was affected by my weight. I knew that there were all kinds of things that were being affected by my, by my overeating. And I had had plenty of other people tell me what my problem was. But someone, I saw someone stand up and talk about what her problem was. She didn't say, you, you, you. She said, me, I. This is what I suffer from. This has been my experience. And I could find myself in her story. I could find myself in her story. She was a very different person from me. She had a very different life than I had at that time. But you know what? I could find myself in her story. And she didn't say, this is what you should do. She said, this is what I do. This is what we do. And if you want, I will bend over backwards to help you. But you have to decide for yourself whether you're a compulsive overeater or not. So I looked at that. Did I honestly want to stop compulsively overeating? And the answer to that question was yes. Finally, finally, it was yes. Without, without help, I knew I could not do it. I knew I was powerless. I knew it had been proven to me over and over and over again. Because I knew that if I started, I had very little control anymore over the amount I took. Even though I might walk into that bakery and say, I'm only going to buy one, oh, maybe two, maybe two. The next thing you know, I'd be saying six or a dozen. And I'm saying, where is that coming from? Okay, I'll take, I'll just have one and then I'll put the rest in the freezer. You know, I'll dole them out to myself. Well, I had very little control because you know what happened. I put them on the back seat and then I practically have an accident trying to get the bag from the back seat to the front seat. You know, it was, it was a nightmare I was living in. And I could see that no matter how much, how great the desire or the wish, like the big book says, no matter how great the desire or the wish, I couldn't stop myself. So it says you have little control over the amount you take. You cannot quit entirely. Guess what? I just might be one of these. I just might be a compulsive overeater of that most critical variety. And so I began to look at this much more seriously, that I was suffering from an illness. I was suffering from an illness. And that illness had those two components, and they were alive and well in me. And they were alive and well in me. And no matter how many times I thought, this time it'll be different, it was never different. So then it said this spiritual experience may just conquer it. It may just conquer it. So that meant that there was a belief in me that I could lay down, a belief that I would always be like this, 
that I would always find myself in this solution. I had to let go of that old belief, that old idea, and start to embrace a new idea that just maybe if I was a compulsive overeater and I had this problem, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, that maybe this solution could work for me too. You know, without knowing the problem and the solution, there was nothing that was going to change in me. You know, I recently came across something that Dr. Carl Jung, you know, Dr. Carl Jung was a, was a learned and well-known and well-respected psychologist. And he worked with Roland Hazard, who was, who, who was one of those people that got those whole series of events started. Roland Hazard, Ebby Thatcher, Bill Wilson, Bob Smith. There was a whole line of people that made this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous happen. And Dr. Young has said, I believe that every human being has an inner search for wholeness. I have never been able to help a person who found their wholeness in alcohol. It requires a power greater and human power. And I believe that that is just as true for me as a compulsive overeater. That I could not, I searched for that wholeness. And I didn't even know that that was missing in me. But I was searching in the wrong place. I was searching for it in the food. But I realized when the food was down, I still had a whole lot of other problems that I didn't seem to be able to do anything about. You know, and you said that a personality change was going to happen to me. That part of this spiritual experience, part of this spiritual awakening process was going to be a personality change. And I began to believe that maybe that's what I needed as well. A personality transplant. I needed... I needed all of those things inside of me to shift and change. I needed a shift in my perception. And it started right here, right now, in this description of what could happen to me with a spiritual experience. That this illness could be conquered with a spiritual experience. You know, I believed that there was a power somehow an energy, a power at work in the world. I thought it was love. I thought it was love, this power. And I, and I thought to myself, if people loving and kind in this meeting, abstinent and recovered, loving and kind, they had something. They had something. And maybe that was enough to begin to believe that maybe I could get that something too. You know, it, it talks about on page 52 the bedevilments that, we, that I was having problems with more than just the food. And that was true. I was having problems. You know, I, I had an emotional nature. I found myself saying and doing things that I regretted afterwards. I found myself apologizing a lot. I found myself ruled by my self-will. And as long as my self-will was in full authority. It gave me tunnel vision. You know, my self-will gave me tunnel vision. 
And I had to break free of that tunnel vision. And it started with this belief. You know, in the early days of my recovery as a compulsive overeater, I would get flashes of truth. It didn't come to me this huge new belief in a higher power. It came in flashes of truth. The truth that I could first admit that I was a compulsive overeater was was a huge flash of truth. And and there would be times when I would still doubt it. I'd say, well, maybe I'm not a compulsive overeater. Well, but they seem to be working one day at a time. I put the food down. I put the food down. I did what Overeaters Anonymous suggested, entire abstinence. And what was that going to look like? Well, it was going to look like a food plan from a doctor, a dietitian, a nutritionist, just for me, that suited my age, my body, my, all of my activity levels, and it had none of my binge food, none of the foods that triggered me. And so one day at a time, I began to do that food plan, one day at a time. And when I did that, I discovered more flashes of truth. You know, and even when the doubts and the skepticism would rise up in me, I would say, but it's working just for today. Let's do, this. Let's do what we did yesterday, and we'll get what we got yesterday, one more day of abstinence. And something is at work here. Something is at work. And some kind of belief in me is shifting. Something is happening to me. Some of my old ideas don't look so swell anymore. Some of my old ideas began to be revealed to me for, for the lies that they were, the lies that I had been telling myself. The big one, that this time it would be different. You know, that this time you can try one of those old ideas and it's going to work. Those flashes of truth began to be revealed to me. I was going to be transformed. And so in this step two, it explained to me that after a while it said we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. (laughs) Well, what was the old or else? Once I cannot, once I start, I cannot stop. And even when I'm stopped, I cannot stop from starting again. That was the or else. You know, that was what I knew to be true for me. That truth, that belief in that was revealed to me in flashes, in flashes. But those flashes began to grow. You know, those flashes began to grow. And under the lash of alcoholism, under the lash of compulsive overeating, I couldn't see those flashes of truth. I had to put the food down first. And that is not an easy thing. Freedom is not free. It was not an easy thing, but oh, it was so worth it because something in me began to shift. Some belief in me began to be revealed. And I am a firm believer that that would not have happened any other way. It wouldn't have happened for me. I had to be exactly where I was, doing exactly what I was doing, in exactly that amount of pain. 
And I don't know if you're a compulsive overeater. You know, Evie Thatcher sat in Bill Wilson's kitchen and told him what he was doing. And Bill was amazed at his friend, Ebby, fresh-faced, eyes glowing. But Bill went out again after that and drank and ended up in the hospital. And this time, Ebby visited him in the hospital and said, here's the program. Because Bill said, I cannot do this anymore. He was in such dire straits. He was so demoralized that he, he, he could finally see that he needed help. And that's exactly where I needed to be. You know, even though I knew about Overeaters Anonymous, even though I was attending meetings in Overeaters Anonymous, there was still something in me that hadn't surrendered at that very, very deep level that knew I needed help. And when I was at that point, the teacher appeared. And I believe that that's, the power, that's the energy. That is God. Because when I was ready, when I was oh so willing to see myself clearly, the teacher appeared. Somebody appeared who could help me. But I had to jump up that very first night at that very first meeting. It was in the front row and I jumped out of my seat and I said, help me. Help me. I need this. Because I had been playing around, I'd lost some weight, but I was hanging on by my fingernails. And I knew that something deeper was needed for me. You know, that lack of power, that was my dilemma, it says on page 45. I knew that lack of power, that was our dilemma. But we had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And for me, that power greater than myself was being in that meeting, finding myself in that woman's story, and knowing that I needed help. Because I'd had sponsors, and then I didn't call them. I I went to the meeting, but I didn't work all the tools all the time. You know, OA had these wonderful tools that, when put in place, helped me to work the steps with a fervor and an excitement and a desire like I had never had before. But I knew, I knew that that power was at work because the belief in me was growing. I wanted to have the faith first, but that's not the way it works for me. I had to start with the belief, the belief that it could be different, the belief that there could be this power, Let go of the doubts. Let go of the skepticism. Find the power in the rooms of OA. Find it on the phone with my fellows. Find it committing my food to my sponsor. Find it in the literature, especially as I I dove into the big book. I found places in the big book that I thought they, they just put that in there. How can that be in there? I haven't read that before. But those words began to speak to me in a different way, in a different way. There was power in that believing, power in that believing that this time it could be different, but this time the difference would be that great reality deep down within us. You know, it says that on page 
55, we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. It was so with me. As I began, I made that decision. You know, we follow it. First, the, the first three steps, we follow that, that solution that we find in step two with the program of action. We make that decision in step three and we dive in. That's what had to happen for me. That belief grew in me because I kept working the steps. You know, I didn't sit there waiting for the belief to be full-blown in me. I found that the energy in me built, the desire in me built, the belief in me built and became that faith. You know, that that's what I learned, that I had been full of fear. I had been full of fear. You know, the big book speaks about fear, fear, fear in so many places that the fear, Bill Wilson said the fear sobered him for a bit. You know, it says in the bedevilments that we were full of fear. On page 62, it says we're driven by a hundred forms of fear. I think I was afraid of the belief, afraid to let go of my old beliefs because I didn't know what those new beliefs were going to be like and look like and, and how that was going to transform me and unfold in me. But that fear... That fear got taken care of one day at a time, one day at a time. Because every time I was afraid, I got on the phone. Every time I was afraid, I wrote about it. You know, I, I put it down on paper, and then the fear came to the power to go out of it. And I shared it with another person. And more and more and more things were revealed to me. And so that strength began to grow in me. You know, believing Believing, the power of believing is immense. You know, the human mind is, is so powerful. I mean, how many times have you heard of, of a situation where, whether it was a car accident or whether where a parent did something to save a child, whether a soldier did something to save other soldiers? I know I hear about these things all the time. The power of a belief that they could do it Power, that belief fuels all action we take. We have to believe we can do it before we take the action. But then we take the action, and the action reinforces the belief. Reinforces the belief. And I have come to believe that there is a great and loving force that I call God, a powerful force, an energy force, and it helped me in the beginning when my belief was small. It was still strong. Belief can be very, a tentative place. You know, it can be a tentative place. But it's no less powerful a place. But I grabbed hold when I said, today I'm going to believe. No matter what, today I'm going to believe. And I'm just going to take the action today so that belief can grow in me. So I invite you, if you're anything like me, to change what you believe. Change what you believe. Say, just for today, this is what I believe, that I can do this thing. 
Try another way. Try another way. You know, it's it. If this way doesn't work, if what you're doing doesn't work, try a different way. A different, a stronger, more powerful belief will come. I believe. You know, it's like I've heard it. I've heard the people in AA talk about it like dominoes. You know, that surrender in step one of my powerlessness tipped that first domino. And then the belief that just that little, little bit of belief that I could have, that belief tipped into step three to make the decision. And that energy just kept growing and growing and growing. And I believe that that's what happens. You know, it's the big book. Those alcoholics writing the big book, you know, they knew me inside and out because they knew themselves. You know, they, they were very honest. They said, we've shared the doubts and the prejudice. In fact, some of them even admitted that they'd been anti-religious. And they still found faith by starting with that belief. Starting with that belief. You know, that's how it had to happen. They said, we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. That's on page 46. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. And if Carl Jung is right, if we're all seeking that wholeness and seeking that realm of the spirit, then that food was blocking me. The food and all of the other character defects that came out of the food. You know, the way I lived around the food stunted me emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so once the food was down and my body began to recover, my mind began to recover, the food that I was now eating fueled my brain so I could think more clearly so that I could have that transformation. You know, that spiritual transformation, that personality change, happened with that same energy, that same momentum, that same keep going, keep going, keep going. I wished to grow. I wanted to grow. And that spiritual growth grew this relationship with this higher power. You know, it was all part and parcel of the same thing. I could lay aside every time I had an old idea, I now shared it with somebody on the phone and we could laugh because when I said it out loud, it seemed like a pretty stupid old idea. <laughs> and, and then I could see it for what it was. But the power, the belief came in picking up the phone. The belief that talking with someone on the phone was going to make a difference. That was a belief that grew in me too. You know, and the more I did it, the more I practiced it, the more strong that belief. And now I could have faith that if it had happened that time, it would happen this time. You know, that I knew that I could build this circle of network, this network of support, the circle of people that knew me inside and out. And the belief in that began began to grow too. The belief that these people who were doing the same thing that I was doing, who were working with the same fervor, the same intensity, the same excitement. So when a newcomer came in the room, they could feel it. The excitement was palpable in the room. 
And there was laughter. And there was love. And I think that's one of the most wonderful, wonderful things about the rooms of recovered people. You know, we are a very sensitive bunch. I have come to believe and come to see that we are an extremely sensitive bunch. And sometimes I think that's part of why we look for something to buffer our sensitivity. But that sensitivity, with God's help, could be used for compassion and mercy and tenderness. You know, that became a strength and a power, too. But it all had to start with knowing what the life problem was and then finding the solution would be a spiritual one. And I was in such pain. You know, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. And I had to be in that almost painful place. So if you are in that almost painful place and you're anything like me, then know that the big book speaks the truth. There is such truth in that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And know that all your problems, there's solutions in the working of the steps. You know, my life in recovery since 2001 has been filled with all sorts of changes in my belief system, belief in, in what was possible. My mother developed Alzheimer's and passed away. My father died, and then my husband, three years ago, died of cancer. And I would not have believed that I would have been able to survive all of that, that I would have been able to care for my husband right up until the moment of his death here in my home. I would never have believed that I could do that. But this program, with the start of step two, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And that sanity has grown and grown and grown. And with it, the belief that when I needed help, it would be available. That when I asked for help, it would be there. You know, and I still believe that today. I still believe that today. That when the need and the desire is great and the prayer goes out to this power greater than myself, it's always answered. Something always comes. might not look like what I thought it would look like. And I may not like sitting in the uncertainty because, you know, I don't like uncertainty. I like certainty. I like to know. But it would always come. You know, if I sat in that uncertainty, it would become a certainty. Belief got stronger in me. You know, the knowing of this higher power has gotten stronger in me over time. And I and if it can happen for me, I believe it can happen for anybody because I'm nothing special. I, I'm no expert on the big book. I'm, I'm no recovery guru. I don't have all the answers. I only have my own experience to go by. And my own experience has been one of transformation. I'm not the same person that I was in 2001. You know, I am not the same mother. I am not the same niece. I am not the same cousin. I am not the same sister. I'm not the same worker. You know, all of those things, that personality change happens each day, one day at a time. 
But it was because of that spiritual awakening, because of that spiritual experience. And that had to start with step two. Coming to believe. Coming to believe. However slowly it grows in me, thank God it continues to grow in me. And with that, I'll pass. Janice, thank you so much for this inspiring message this morning. Thank you so very much for your down-to-earth humor and friendly simplicity. Very much appreciated. Now we're going to offer Janice's contact information, please. Janice, how should folks contact you? I'll put out my telephone number. You can always leave a message, 612-827-6989. Okay, and that's Central Standard Time, correct? It is indeed, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wonderful. So thank you for your contact information. Could you repeat the number? Sure. Janice, would you like to repeat that, please? I'm sorry. Did someone say something? Please repeat repeat the contact information. Oh, 612 827-6989. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, 612-827-6989. That's for Janice P. And she is located in Central Time. And now we're going to transition to a question-answer period. If you have a question for Janice, please Press star 1 to unmute, and you can direct your question to Janice this morning. Star 1 to unmute. Hello, this is Beverly. Good morning. This is Mary in California. I have a question. Mary in California. Did I I hear I'm sorry. Someone before Mary, please. Your name? Beverly. Beverly. Go ahead, Beverly, and then we'll go to Mary. Yeah, I um I had an accident on 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 um um last week Tuesday where I fell and hit my head. I think the cause was that I was feeling giddy and weak. I'd taken my meds too closely and I just made an errant judgment. I was going to go to bed and rest, and I, I went to the kitchen to do something that I thought was really, really urgent, which was not as urgent as it really was, and I slipped and I fell, and I just wanted to, to for um, Janice to repeat what she was, I did not miss it, I didn't get that part about what happens when you meet in accidents, car accidents, stuff like that. Um, the significance of these things, because what is happening is that I'm feeling very angry with God and at, at the same time grateful um, that it was not more serious and thinking of it as a wake-up call and just wanted her thoughts on this. It's, I know I haven't given much information, but I've had many falls before this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What was Question. she saying about Thank you, Beverly. Janice, would you like to speak about accidents and, I guess, occurrences that uh, unfold in one's life and how to uh, 
spiritually mm-hmm. uh, decipher all that. Go ahead. Please. Well, thank you, thank you, Beverly, so much for for um, for sharing there. I I um, my my prayers will will uh, be for your recovery. Um, you know. <laughs> What do we know about what happens to us in our lives? You know, I used to think, how could my husband's cancer possibly be any kind of an opportunity for spiritual growth? How could his being taken from me by by this disease possibly be to my or anyone else's benefit? But you know what? I believe that in every calamity, you know, there is room for a belief to grow. You know, I I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody other than me, but I know that spiritual growth, you know, I have no control over many things that happen in my life. I have no control over over another car or a slip and a fall. You know, if I am in that place where, to the best of my ability, I'm spiritually connected, you know, sometimes there will be an opportunity and it sounds like you know you you have done the things that you need to do to stay close to your higher power through all of this and and feel some gratitude that it wasn't a worse accident you know i am i am very very grateful today for the closeness that i had with my husband right up until the moment of his death you know that what grew between us was was nothing I could ever have imagined, the beauty of it. And so when calamities strike, you know, sometimes something comes out of it that will end up shifting my perception and help making me to see it different. And so I hope that, uh, I hope for your swift recovery. Thanks, Beverly. Thank you, Beverly, for the question. And now we'll go to Mary, please. Good morning, this is Mary Lee in Paso Robles, California. Thank you, Janice. Um, wow. If you could write out a description of what your higher power is, you know, all the attributes, <laughs> things like that, um, what would it look like? Thank you. Oh, what a lovely, what a lovely question. You know, I, I like nothing more than, than to talk about what this, what this power is. And, you know, aren't we grateful? I am. I am that you know that my definition of a higher power grows in me. You know, it grows in me. And and it may not look like anybody else's higher power, but I think what I do know to be true is that my higher power is the power of love. It's the power of love. You know, every day I I do a little reading and writing assignment and I reflect on something that I've read out of the literature. And at the end of the page every day, I write the same thing. I say, God, reveal to me, guide me, educate me, show me the ways of love. And, and it's a reminder to me every day that, that that is my higher power, is the power of love. You know, let me, let me learn from whatever happens to me, educate me, you know, show me the ways of love, reveal them to me when I can't always see them. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the, the power that I think is at work all around me when I'm looking for it. You know, when I see the kindness of other people, 
you know, when I when I see um, how I can step into a situation and be useful and helpful. You know, that's that's I I I don't I don't need any more definition than that. You know, it's an energy. It's it's a it's a power. Um, it's it's what fuels all that's good in the world in my in in my mind. So thanks. That's a that's a wonderful question. Thank you, Mary Lee. Who's next with a question for Janice? Star one to unmute. This is Sharon H. in Colorado. Sharon H. Anyone else? This is Maria in Alabama. Marie. Okay, so let's go with Sharon H. first, please. Okay, thank you so much, Leah. And thank you, Janice. Thank you so much for... Uh, oh, good morning, Sharon. Good morning. good morning. You know, you were the one of the ones that just touched my heart early on a couple years ago when I started listening to this meeting. And when you were sharing about your husband, um, it just meant so much to me because my my sister, who's five years younger than me right now, is in hospice care, and it's just so hard to see her and go be with her. And and by God's grace, I'm so grateful that I am I am abstinent while uh, doing this. But um, I just wanted to know how you how you allowed yourself to grieve through this process of when they're in hospice care and, um, you know, I, you were probably with your husband around the clock. Um, praise God, her husband is doing her care and um, with the help of hospice. So I was just wondering if you had any um, guidelines that helped you, um, you know, stay abstinent through this process of seeing someone you dearly love go through such uh, a suffering time. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sharon. You know, my heart goes out to you. I, um, I, I know. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always said is the depth of my grief honors the depth of the love that I had for this person. And whether it was um, my my father or my mother or my husband, you know, I believe that our fellowship. Our fellowship is like no others. You know, we there were people that walked with me um, through that that whole process. There were people that came and did my yard work and cleaned my house and made food and put it in my freezer. And you know, I I don't think I would have gotten through it without their help in the way that I was able to. And and the grief, you know, I I discovered that my ability to show my emotions, my ability to <clears throat> admit when the pain was was just more than I thought I could bear, that there were people who came forward who could hold that pain for me, you know, that they could be there with me. They didn't tell me what to do. They didn't tell me how to think or how to feel. They just listened to me and and let me be exactly where I was at and 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 afterwards you know I found additional help was necessary I I attended a grief group I and 
And, uh, and there were others in the fellowship who had um, recently lost uh, close um, people too. And so we were able to kind of find each other and help each other as well. But I, I believe that, that you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on my little soapbox here, but I believe that grieving um, is, is kind of an underserved um, population of people who um, we don't always know what to do with people who are grieving or how to be there for them. But I found the people who were there for me listened. They, they um, you know, they, they were there in ways that, that I couldn't even ask for. You know, so I think that um, our fellowship is, is just a wonderful source of, of comfort. And, and then to know when additional help. You know, the big book is so clear about that, that, that when we seek the medical professionals and seek help, you know, that, that um, uh, OA is not therapy. You know, OA is not meant to be anything other than this beautiful design for living. And then we know you know, where we can seek out additional help. We can seek out places where um, where we can get the help we need, especially with grieving. And so my heart goes out to you, my dear Sharon, and, and I'll also keep you in my thoughts and prayers and your sister and her family. Sharon, thank you for that question. Now we move on to Marie. Um, hi, this is Maria in Alabama. Um, I am kind of stuck in this. Um, I I still feel like there is some kind of a higher power in the, you know, the next diet, the next. I can do it. I still think I can do it. And my question is, how do you get to the point where you? Um, block yourself from that because I know something is blocking me from my higher power. I've mm-hmm. been long enough to know that. 32 mm-hmm. years is a long time to not get something. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when it comes to food, there's always, oh, I can, but I can still do that. There's, oh, maybe I haven't tried that enough, you know. And that's mm-hmm. where my question is how do you unblock yourself? Thank mm-hmm. you. And thank you, share. Oh. Thank you, Marie, for the question. Oh, you know, my goodness, I I don't know how it is for anybody else. I, all I can tell you is that, you know, my self-will, I, I think I might have said this, my self-will gave me tunnel vision. You know, it gave me tunnel vision. I could only see, like, right here in front of me, like I had blinders on, you know. and 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 then... That idea, those old ideas, that this time it would be different, that this time maybe I'm not a compulsive overeater, you know, we can't bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of a week or even a month ago. You know, it says that in the big book. We, I don't know about you, but the pain of my compulsive overeating was larger than my fear of surrendering everything. I just had to get to that point where, where you know, I was pinching my brains out. You know, it's like it didn't happen every day and it wasn't 24-7. But if they were getting closer and closer together and I was doing crazy things with the food and my thinking was so crazy and I could not bear to live like that 
one more minute. And, and I don't know what gets people to that point. Now, all I know is this was the point I had to get to. I had to get to that point where the pain, it was the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You know, and every time I found myself compulsively overeating, I had huge remorse and regret and here I am again and why did I do that? I said I wasn't going to. And, and then I would try to block it off with more food. And you know how crazy making that is. And so finally I just thought I cannot live like this. I cannot live like this. Help me. Help me. And then when that person said this is what I do, this is what we do, I had to either decide right there in that moment, I mean, I knew what my problem was. And it sounds like you do too. And I knew what the solution was. And it sounds like you do too. So am I deciding? What am I deciding? You know, step three, what am I deciding? Am I deciding that I'm going to do this thing just for today? I'm going to do whatever has worked for somebody else. I'm going to put my old ideas aside and do just this day, this 24 hours. And then the next day I said, well, that went pretty well. I got through that. Maybe I could do it one more day. And something in those one day at a time began to shift in me. And the more those one days built up, the more they, they began to string together the more clearer my thinking was and the more certain I became that, th that this was what I wanted to continue to do because it wasn't just about the abstinence. I hear a lot of people grab onto abstinence and then they're out there flailing around and I've been there. I've been there. But if abstinence without the working of the 12 steps is just another diet. And it's like holding your breath underwater, like my darling Leah always says, pretty soon you're going to have to come to the surface and take a breath. But if I'm working the steps as if my life depends on it, and I'm staying abstinent one day at a time, freedom is not free. It takes effort, takes thought, takes concentration, takes, takes planning ahead, but I wouldn't do it any other way. I don't know if that helps, Marie. <laughs> Thank you, Marie, for your question. And who's next with a question for Janice? Star one to unmute. This is Tony. Tony, your mm -hmm. turn. And who else did I hear? Phoebe. Judy? No, Phoebe, like the bird. Phoebe, okay. Let's go, Tony, and then Phoebe. Thank you. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. This is from South Carolina, and I want to thank you for your service, and I want to thank Janice. I've been weeping ever since she started talking because she is telling my story. Um, and I've been abstinent. I put down the food a month ago, and the um, the scales are falling from my eyes, and there's a lot of grief um, because in knowing that who I've been for 68 years has to die. 
but there is so much hope in um, knowing that that um, I'm being reborn. And my question for her is, I I need to start the steps. She spoke about when you're ready, the teacher appears. And the earlier, the last speaker talked about how do you get to that place. For me, I had to lose everything that I had depended on for my security. Um, my husband had died a while back. I lost my health, um, and then my fiancé died. And in that grief, um, I had to look not at him and his faults and the hurt of both his death and, and the betrayal that I had experienced, but at me. And for the first time, I admitted I was a food addict. Um, I don't know how to get a sponsor. I've worn out all the sponsors in my local group um, because I, I've been in OA years and in and out and trying. Um, I, they would say, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not willing to work. So I'm willing to work. And um, how do you find the right sponsor? I have been praying. That's an excellent question, and boy, um, you know what I say, Tony? I say, yippee! I say, yay! I just love, I just love when people get to what you are exactly describing. I cannot live like this one more minute. You know, it's like that is that is the most wonderful and painful place to be all at the same time. And you know, I I don't know. Um, uh, exactly what the situation is in your group. I know um, you said you've, you've burned through some, some sponsors, but I know that when people are really ready and they, they, you know, they want it really badly, it shows. It shows. And, and that, you know, I'd, I don't know if it would work to go back to one of those people and just, you know, Say I am. I I want this more than anything. I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes, and and I really need help. You know that that was the tipping point for me. You know if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But when you know what you want and you know where you're going, that you want to work the steps, and you know it, and maybe that first person won't be able to, but maybe the second person will. Because when people want it, you know, willingness is something we cannot give each other. But when the willingness is there, there's no stopping you. You know, and and so I would just I would just keep praying and and I believe that God is very reliable. Very reliable. And and something some kind of power and energy will will be at work. And and uh and I'm just so grateful that that uh you know that our stories match up, you know that sometimes we can hear ourselves in each other's stories. That's the way it was for me too, and you're so kind to say that i I appreciate that so much so i just I just hope and pray for just like the very right sponsor to appear for you, and sometimes we just gotta keep asking and asking. Thank you, Tony, for your question. Phoebe, your turn. Thank you so much. 
Janice, thank you so much for your story today. Um, it was really, it really touched me. Um, and you said a lot of nuggets that I wrote, was trying to write down, and you said one that I didn't catch. So if you could repeat it, you said abstinence without the 12 steps is like, and I didn't count, get the rest of it. So if you could repeat that, I would appreciate it. Oh, sure, my dear. I, 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 I hope I remember what I said, but for me, abstinence without the 12 steps is just another diet. It's just another diet club. You know, it's like white-knuckling it, and, and there's no personality change. You know, and I don't know about you, but I was abstinent plenty of times without having the benefit of the design for living and the personality change, and I was a you-know-what on wheels. You know, I was not a very nice person because now all of a sudden everything bugged me. You know, it's like whatever the food buffered before wasn't there anymore. So, you know, abstinence by itself is just another diet. It's just another self-will trying to run, run the food thing again. And it just never worked for me. And, and you know, that's, that's why I knew I was a compulsive overeater. It's because I, you know, holding your breath underwater. That's what a diet is like for me, holding my breath underwater. And pretty soon I'm going to have to come to the surface, take a breath, and that means another binge, another pickup of the food. So, but the 12 steps is what transforms me. It transformed my personality. It, it gave me hope and faith and belief and perseverance and integrity and all those wonderful principles that the big book says we will benefit from in this personality change. And then we want to help others. You know, we want to we be there for the next newcomer walking in the door. We, we, but we can't do that unless we've experienced that personality change ourselves. So if we're only dieting, we're never going to get that, that great blessing. It's a mystery to me anyway how it all works. All I know is you work the steps, you put the food down, and, you know, something so beautiful happens to us. Thank you, Phoebe, for your question. Anyone else with a question for Janice this morning? Star 1 to unmute. Sue G. I hear Sue G. Who else did I hear? AJ. AJ. Anyone else? All right. Let's go to Sue G. Hi, it's Sue G. Am I heard or did I mute myself? I hear you. Oh, goody. Okay. Um, Sue G. here recovered in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, Thank you. So much, Janice. That was a beautiful message. I've always enjoyed your messages from the first time I heard you. Um, oh, you're so kind. Thank you. And and I'm sincere. I'm honest. This is true. And what what is going through my mind? Okay, I I'll say my um my situation is tomorrow we go to chemo. My husband and I. It's for him. And I'm really trying to be there for him. And he probably has a good prognosis. But that doesn't help because I know it's the good, bad news, you know, or it's the whatever it is. It, it's a mixture. So I'm thinking about what you said that's so powerful, that the initial readings about the mind and body disconnect, that, that that's our sickness. And it's a soul sickness. Our mind and body is disconnected. But our mind and body are one. 
And and I believe I knew that as a small child. I mean, I couldn't articulate it, but I think I knew it. And somewhere I lost it early in life and became a compulsive eater and a bunch of other things that fed the compulsive eating. So now here I am going to this chemo with instructions, okay? Our instructions are we're getting some instruction tomorrow besides he's getting the treatment. And we happen to both be physicians. That doesn't make me any better or worse than anybody else. It's just the truth about us. So the doctor says physicians get bad medical treatment because we assume that you know everything we know, and that's wrong. If you're a geriatrician, why should you know about chemotherapy? Or if you're a psychiatrist, why should you know about geriatrics? You know, you, so we have to teach you too. So my husband and his impatience to get on with it, and me, I'm even more impatient. Get the treatment as soon as you can. That's what our family wants you to do, and that's what you know you want to do. So, so we are um, in this teamwork together where now I have this assignment because Dick says he'll go to sleep during the treatment, which he probably will. It's always been the way he's been in the last 50 years when I've known him. And, and that I should come with my little notebook and write down the notes about the instructions about this treatment because we need the instructions. We need to know what to look for after the treatment. And, uh, and so there I am, and I'm thinking, my old thinking needs to be separated from this new problem. And at the same time, this is the paradox. Here's the recovery question, okay? That my old thinking the good part of my old thinking needs to be reconnected with the new problem, that, that I need that. that that's, I guess it's the God within. And I'd just like to hear you comment about this a little bit in your own experience with dealing with sickness and, and mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. death threat. Thank you mm-hmm. for letting me ask, and I pass. Mm. Thanks, Sue. Thanks so much. Well, I have, I have plenty of experience with chemo. But, okay, I'll tell you, I only have my experience to share. And my experience had to be a spiritual one, first of all. I, my prayer was, God, help me to be useful to David. Help me to do whatever I can do to be his advocate, to be his support, to be, you know, whatever I can do. So I got myself a three-ring binder. And I got myself some paper, and I took notes. And I said, God, help me to write clearly. Help me to ask questions if I need to ask questions. But I tell you, that three-ring binder, as it grew over a period of time, I was able to flip back. I would, And there would be times when, when my husband would say, I don't remember them saying that. And I said, well, here, I wrote it right, I wrote it right here. And, and this, so I became useful, helpful um, um, in whatever way I could do. I asked the questions. And actually, there were times before going to the appointment that I would say to David, do you have any questions you can think of that we should ask? And so in within my information was also questions that we wanted to ask. And it became, it was like, where's the notebook? You know, it, it became this little sacred volume that we took with us because I became the keeper of the information. And I could do that for him. I could do that for him. And I could pray 
that let me, let me do something useful, kind, loving. What can I do? Because I felt powerless. There was not a whole lot I could do. This was outside of my realm. I had to rely on the chemo nurses. I had to rely on the doctors. I had to rely on the staff. But I was also smart enough to know I could ask questions. And, and because I needed to stay absent, I packed my food, took it along. I never relied on the timetables that they said. I always made sure I thought ahead. And there were some times when, you know, David would be hooked up to chemo and it would be lunchtime and I would pack his lunch as well and I would take out her lunch and somebody would say, what smells so good? And, oh, my God, what beautiful food. And my husband would always kind of roll his eyes and he'd say, yeah, she feeds me organic. And, you know, and he would laugh, but he loved it. He loved it. So in whatever ways my program I had to keep myself abstinent and do what I needed to do to take care of myself, but also do whatever I could do for him. And, and it gave, it was a great blessing. It was a great blessing to be able to do that and to do it willingly and lovingly. And because and, uh, sometimes, you know, when you're not men, men, women, anybody, when you're kind of cranky and you're not feeling so awfully good or you're, you're powerless and you have to undergo this treatment, you know, having a loving, supporting person, David always said, makes such a difference. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, Sue, but. Thank you, Sue. Very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Janice, for your experience. AJ, your turn. This is AJ. Can you hear me? Sure can, yes. Okay. Um, I have a question about sponsoring. Um, how you know when you're ready to sponsor. I've been um, listening to Vision for You for a year and a half. Been um, slowly, slowly working the steps. Had to start over. Um, I have this huge fear. Fear, um, like right now I'm about sick to my stomach that I'm even talking on this line. Um, and phone phobia, have a hard time calling people. I have made a few close contacts that I call. Um, I'm in the middle of my ninth step, and I remember hearing somebody say once that they never felt recovered until they started working with others. So I just wonder how you know when you're ready to start sponsoring. That's a huge fear. Thank you. Mm. Oh, thanks, AJ. That is a great question. You know, I, I I have come to believe that, you know, when you have had that spiritual awakening, when you are when you are when you you know that you're living in the spiritual experience one day at a time, to the best of your ability, then working with others because, you know, I'm assuming that that person, that newcomer, you know, a lot of people that we have coming into the rooms of OA these days are, are, are in the food or they're brushing the powdered sugar donuts off of their blouse when they come in the room. You know, I mean, they are, they are coming in right out of the food. And, and if they're anything like me, you know, that early sponsorship is, is having somebody solid telling you step by step 
this is what I did. This is what I can share with you. This is what I did. Step one, step two, step three. And it sounds to me like, like fear, you know, is, is a common theme. I hear people, oh, I'm afraid to sponsor. Well, I was afraid to sponsor. And when I started sponsoring, there were three people waiting and that needed sponsors. And I just dove in because people needed sponsors. And all I had was my experience. I could share the way it had been with me. And, and, and that was plenty. But I didn't make myself out to be the end all and be all. You know, I said, we sponsor in a group. You know, we, so I, I made sure that they also had other people that they knew who were sponsoring that could sort of be a little backup. Um, you know, I have people in my network who are sponsors. I call them if I have questions about stuff. And so that, that new person that I was sponsoring, I made sure they were building their network of support as well. Because one person, you know, what happens if I'm just not available, if I'm at work and I can't get the phone and, and they need a question answered or they need some support? Well, hopefully they have other people that they can call too. And that really helped relieve my fear of sponsoring because my fear of sponsoring was all about my ego. It was all about my ego. You know, if I believed that this program was transforming me, why would I not want to offer that to somebody else? Does that help? Yes, yes, thank you. Thanks, AJ, for the question. Anyone else this morning? Questions for Janice? This is Deanna B. Hi, Deanna. Anyone else? All right, Deanna, your turn. Thank Hi, you. this is Harper. Okay. Well, Harper got in there, so Deanna B, and we'll go to Harper. Thank you. My name is Deanna B from Chicago. Um, I'm uh, almost recovered, compulsive eater. Um, I've been abstinent probably, I would say, for the first time in my life that I consider myself abstinent for nine months and been on a vision for you since June. Um, I guess what my question is, and I think you might, you partially answered it. Maybe I know the answer is that I, I feel that I've been walking in a new way that I've never walked before. Uh, and, and, and this spiritual experience is coming slowly. I can identify when I'm not connected when I'm into fear, worry, something else that I have to stop and pray and get connected with my higher power. Um, you know, I've always glossed over we agnostics. And this is this time reading it like this is, has been such a wonderful thing. My also my fear is my uh, sponsor, my guide told me, uh, and she, she kind of goes, through it like I heard you explain that what you do 
and so non-judgmental and, and, and making sure that I have my a network. Um, well, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that uh, I am sponsoring somebody in another 12-step program, and I'm doing what I feel I've learned in the vision for you. But in OA, I, I just feel, too, like, uh, I'm not qualified, and maybe I'm not yet. <laughs> I I don't know what my question is. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Deanna. That's all right. I've been there plenty of times myself. What am I asking? I think you know. I think what I hear you saying is, you know, the 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 need for sponsorship is great, and and how do we qualify ourselves? as sponsors. You know, I I think I think we know, you know, when you've been abstinent for a length of time and you're working the steps abstinently and and things are changing. I mean, I love what you said about, you know, you now you're awake and aware. You know, you know when, oops, I need to pray about this or I'm not I'm feeling off center and and you know all those signals those spiritual signals that that I think come to me now that that I'm clean that my brain is is clean and and I'm I'm able to be you know much more out there in the world but you know that's why we say practice 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 you know we practice these spiritual principles in all our affairs. We practice the 12 steps. You know, we never do it perfectly. Where It's not meant to be done perfectly. It's a design for living. It's a design for living. And if I can offer that design for living, if I can offer that spiritual awakening process to somebody else, it's going to only enhance mine, Whether, no matter what they do with it. Whether, whether they're ready or not ready, whether they're, um, um, you know, I, it helps me. You know, it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to watch somebody grow. And I cannot tell you how many hardened hearts I've seen soften. People come in angry and isolated and resentful and skeptical and, and they turn into these soft little mush bunnies and they're so sweet and dear to me now that, you know, I can hardly stand it. And and they were not that way when they walked in the room. So, you know, I think it sounds to me like you're getting a nudge, maybe. That you're getting a nudge. And and you're awake and aware enough to feel that nudge. And and so I say, you know, don't let fear stop you. And don't let those old ideas stop you. That say, well, maybe I'm not ready, or maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe I'm maybe that's a different program, and it's like it's the same twelve steps. It's the same twelve steps. The steps don't talk anywhere about you know somebody. Once once you've done step one and you put down the alcohol, once you've done step one and you put down the food, it's not about the food. It's not about the alcohol. It never was. It was only a symptom of a deeper problem. And the 12 steps help us, help us get to all those deeper problems. And I'm talking too much, so I'll stop now. <laughs> Thank you, Deanna, for the question. And Harper, it's your turn. Are you there, Harper? 
Star I think we may have to go after this, Leah. Yes, yes, we will wrap up indeed. Harper, star one to unmute. All right. Harper? Star one to unmute. All right. Well, perhaps Harper had to step away. And thank you to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, Janice, thank you so much for your insights and inspiration this morning. Very helpful. And thank you, Ms. Leah. Thank you. Pleasure. And I'll close in the way we always close our meetings here on A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.